This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt takes a look at the eternal covenant of God as it is worked out as Christ shed his blood for a particular people. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Brighton, Michigan, and I am back with Thad Keenel. How are you doing today, Thad? I'm doing good. I love this Planted podcast that you thought of. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know. I think we thought of it together, didn't we? Well, we thought of the podcast, but the name, the Planted podcast, comes from, oh. from Psalms that you um, yeah. first thought of. Maybe it'd be worth refreshing us what that is speaking of. Right. Yeah, so we wanted to... My idea of calling this the Planted Podcast really is we want to be rooted and established in the scriptures and and really in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you often say in the tagline and so forth, because it is it is in him that we have our faith, that we um, are brought back into relationship with God, and really all of scripture— points to him. Jesus says that about himself on the road to Emmaus. He opened up the eyes to the disciples uh, for all that they would see that the scriptures are about him. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be rooted and established in him. And so that means talking about scripture, um, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, But with that, we do, sometimes we can systematize or harmonize even those things, and sometimes those things turn into discussions of doctrine, and 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 those, but all those are rooted in Scripture. So um, here at Cornerstone, we are a Presbyterian church, and we our doctrine that we subscribe to is the Old Westminster Confession of Faith, um, done by the Westminster divines back in you know what we now call the United Kingdom, you know, um, centuries ago. But it's still we still hold to that today. Um, now we have a different, little different context today. We may not have asked exactly the same questions they were asking, given their time and place in history. But but it's still all pertinent today. It's still all true because if you actually look at that document, it is just covered with biblical text. Right. The whole idea is right. to um, establish what the Lord is trying to convey to His people. Right. And so specific questions are asked that then the answers are found in Scripture. Now. The one thing I would say about it is sometimes the narr- the narrative of Scripture isn't necessarily always directly asking those questions, but it is answering them in in its narrative form. And so there are times, you know, in biblical theology, you know, you do it's one particular passage isn't always answering that, but as you harmonize and bring the whole together. We do get some of those answers, right. you know, and and so um, so anyway. All to say, as it relates to the planning podcast, is that in this podcast we're not always going to just be taking passages of scripture. Um, in la- in the first season, we kind of did the doctrine of the Word of God, and and looked at that in particular. In the second season, we decided to go through a book of the Bible in Colossians because we wanted to also model for you, but also talk about ways to study the Bible. And if you're studying a book of the Bible, these are things you should look for, try to practice, try to do some inductive study of asking questions, using the whole document, and using some word study, all those kind of things. So that was season two. And and as we've, Thad and I have been talking, we've had a, every once in a while we'll have a few one-off podcasts talking about a particular subject or topic that sounds interesting to us or that, that comes up. But Last time, we started into this discussion of the eternal decree or the the, the eternal covenant, right. um, more so, really, and thinking that that could be a one or two off thing. But as we've been talking, I think we're talking about this might develop into our season three, where we really get into those doctrines of grace, those things that really do... Um, make us distinctive as Presbyterians right. and Reformed covenantal people. Yeah, and I think as you were saying, you know, not everything that is in the Word of God is doctrinal, but we have 
through the historical narrative, mm-hmm. you know, God's purpose being shown to us right. in a story. It's it's the Lord's story, right? Yeah. And as we were speaking of last time, that that decree of God has a special intention in in a particular group of people whom he will redeem. Yeah. Right? And that purpose is given to us as the accomplishment of Jesus Christ's work um, in his ministry here and his death on the cross right. and the conquering of the grave. And so that was the work that was established for the Son to accomplish on our behalf and also on behalf of all of creation. Yeah. So that's uh that's all made manifest through the story of the scripture. So when you when you're reading from Genesis and even as you're going through some of those books that we might consider boring, um, they're there for a reason to show the history of God providing his revelation to his people and at the heart of it, his promise to a particular people, right? That's right. what we call the covenant that he says. These are things that I'm going to accomplish in you and for you by my own perfect strength, not by yours, because you're going to fail continuously, right. which we continually <laughs> prove over and over again how weak we are without him. Um, and so that moves us more so to talk uh, even further about this covenant and decree of God and what the work that Christ came to do for us. Yes. And so as we jump back into a little bit, I think we're, if I'm remembering where we ended last week, talking just about the eternal nature of this. And the um, in, in John 17, where he talks about um, the things God had given him, uh, Jesus talks about the authority over all flesh in order that he would give eternal life to them. So, so all this is for us to have eternal life, but that eternal life is something that was declared and decided by God that he would do this from all eternity. So this is thing that this is what God had given him to do um, ahead of time. Uh, so because he says in verse five, and now Father, you glorify me at your side with the glory that I had at your side before the world existed. Right. Right. So we're talking about the eternal nature of these um of this promise that God had made kind of within himself, you, you, we might say, you know, his agreement between the Father and the Son, and we would say to the Holy Spirit, obviously, is, is the one applying that to us, and so is involved, is involved in this. But it, it, there in that passage, it's, it's Jesus speaking to his Father, so we see that happening. And so what's significant about it being eternal, I guess, is what, is what I'm going to kind of look at today. And what that speaks of is, is God's nature— Right, uh, and it, but it also, if we're talking about God's nature, we know that God is has some of those qualities. He's He's immutable. He doesn't change. Uh, so if God doesn't change, His word doesn't change. His promises don't change, which means He's going to keep them. Well, how can God guarantee these things to happen? What is the guarantee that men mankind will respond to Him? Mm-hmm. If he leaves it, if he leaves that open ended, and it's and it's up to Thad's will, is there any guarantee that anyone will choose God? Well, in fact, the uh, the opposite extreme is is actually made clear to us in the scriptures is that if we are just left to ourselves, that no one will. Yes. Right? Be- right. Why is that? Because we're fallen in sin, and in our fallen nature, the scriptures say that we have become enemies of God, right? So our disposition towards God is one of not natural love for him, right? Mm-hmm. But because we're selfish, because we don't want to be disciplined, that it says that we're we're haters of God. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't feel right to a lot of us. Like, I don't hate God, but that's what the scripture says about us because— of the relationship, the natural perfect relationship that was severed in the garden between Adam and Eve and God Mm -hmm. that existed, right? And Uh, each of us bear the fruit of that. And we each bear the fruit of it, right? So we have what's called, we bear the sin of Adam as his being our federal headship, right? And so that sin gene, so to speak, is is passed (laughs) down to us, right? We can say, you know, I've said this before that I am um, SIN positive. (laughs) Right. That's, that's my, that's my natural. I've seen it. You have seen it. So has, 
uh, you know, my yeah. wife, my yeah. parents right. and everybody, except for maybe some people that I teach, but <laughs> they will, if they give me enough time, because that's, that's yeah, still, that, yeah, we that's all, still the, it all comes out. Right. right. And so this is not about, um, our trying to be perfect. It's about Christ being perfect and what he has right. given to us in form of his righteousness as he took upon right. our shame and sin on that cross. Right. And so I, I, I bring that up because I think some people I know, because I, and I even raise this in my own mind, have over the years and still do sometimes. It's like, because of, I think one, because of the strong independent culture in which we live, and because we use terms like free will all the time, and this notion of the human will and the human power and human freedom and, and our ability to choose and all those things, which I believe is a real thing, but we have to put it in context to what the scripture says about that will, right? But the point is, is that we can take offense to this. Well, if God may, if, if God's in control of this, then how am I involved? Am I just, you know, am I just, uh, you seem to have taken the choice out of my hands, that you've robbed me of something, right? right? And, and what I would typically say in those situations is, no, actually what God's doing is he is re-enabling us. He is, he's actually giving us our will back um, uh, that is, and, and it's not necessarily the will to choose or not to choose. He's actually showing us and awakening us to the fact that he is good and we would choose nothing else, right? Which is getting into, which I think we talk a lot a little bit more in another episode probably, but this whole idea of irresistible grace, right? That mm. once that is opened up to us and we see that need, that we that we won't want to say no once we're made alive back to God. So we'll reserve a deeper conversation for that at another time. But the point is, I think all of this has to do with who God is. That's exactly right. right? Yeah, so these discussions that... Um, are going to be branches of this first discussion about God's eternal mm -hmm. plan, because uh, as we started our conversation last time, it was, you know, what is the purpose of our life? You know, well, it, it begins with God. We have to know where we're starting. If we start with man, we're going to, we're going to, mm -hmm. we're going to lose every time, right? We have yeah. to start with the plan of God. Otherwise we say, we end up saying to ourselves, well, if God is good, you know, he's not doing a very good job because there's so much evil around us, right? right? And so these are the questions that we started to answer last time. Um, and one of the things that became clear is this eternal decree that you just mentioned, um, where Christ in John 17 in his prayer to the Father, and you actually read this word earlier, but that he says that I have completed the work that you've given me to do, right? And we say Who's the one that gave the work? Well, we say God. And when we say God, we mean the triune God, right? right? And then when we say that I've completed, that you've told me to do or that you've given me to do, now we've got a distinguishing factor of the persons, Jesus, the Son, mm -hmm. and the Father, right? right? But, but it all comes from that eternal God, which yes. in, includes all of the above. But Christ accomplishes it, and it is because the Father sent him, but is much more than... Um, it's more, much more than a, uh, a problem for them to solve. It's part of what they, what the Godhead wanted to establish all along, and that was yes. a relationship with a particular people. Right. Yes, it, it, it's a relationship. It's it's wanting His presence to be with it, with the people, which which we which is so much of what the Old Testament is about, and when the establishment of of how God can live with the people in the land and the desire to bring the nations to the Lord who lives with the people in the land. Um, but this idea of God's presence, the idea of being with that, is the manifestation really, too, of God wanting to reveal himself, right? So the part of this eternal plan and desire, which we don't comprehend because we're not God, but but I think what he shows us in the scriptures that this desire to be with us is is this desire for us to know him. And that 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 self-revelation from the very beginning, God knew it would include salvation. That this idea of God revealing who he is, that he is a God of grace and mercy. And that is he um, ordained that it would come to pass that we would need a savior. And then that would be Jesus who would come to, to save us from our sins, which, which is a turning and rebellion against God. 
so I think it's important for us to see that this is tied to that revelation of God. And you mentioned to me earlier about uh, Hebrews 13 um, and the benediction to this to this letter, uh, or some people would say is a sermon, it, it right. really that is there. So, so why is, why do you like how did why did the Spirit bring that particular verse to mind? Well, for you? yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. But the I, I guess what I was thinking of as we were talking about this this perfect work that Christ accomplished, mm-hmm. um, this was basically the job description. Yeah. That was handed down from the Father to the Son to accomplish. And and why was it handed down? Well, we as we mentioned earlier, since the fall of Adam and Eve, right, the fall of man and our own sin, something happened where our relationship was severed with God. And the scripture says that uh we are dead in our sins. Now, people have a heartbeat, so they're not really dead, but so we're talking about something spiritual. Right? We have spiritual death, and there's nothing that man can do to give himself life. There's no righteous work that man can right. do to give himself life. And so uh, what do we look for? Well, as we talked about last time, that it required a blood sacrifice. you know. And so God, um, in the Old Testament even, there was blood required for the atoning work of sin. But that wasn't accomplished perfectly until Jesus Christ, right? And the book of Hebrews is all about what the Old Testament looked like and how it operated in the temple with the high priest and how Jesus Christ, the true high priest, came and made um, a final accomplishment and forgiveness and atonement for sins. So again, maybe I'm making that too too big, but the idea is, again, that, um, that we were not only just sinners, but we were dead in our sins and we needed life. Yeah. Right. And we needed forgiveness and that can only be accomplished in Christ. And so what is our sin? We're dead in our sins. So if you just take a look at that first verse of 20 that you're about to read there, um, that will come in, including the work of Christ and his accomplishment and the covenant of promise. I mean, um, so this is something, maybe a couple these couple of verses that we'll want to read a couple of times to to see it all over. Yeah. Yeah, So let me reread. This is the benediction to this... um, we say the letter of, of Hebrews, but often a lot of a lot of scholars and theologians would call it a sermon. That really is, in, in a lot of ways, a, a pastor writing to a congregation, um, a, a Hebrew congregation, proclaiming the greatness of Christ above all else, above all all the other good things that God provides to His people. That Jesus is the is the answer to it all. And so, this is the benediction. It, Probably familiar to a number of you. You will hear pastors use it at the end of a service or a or a funeral. Even um, I often use this as a funeral benediction. Mm. It says, "Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing to do His will, carrying out in us what is pleasing before Him through Jesus Christ." To be the glory forever, Amen. So, uh, I, I just want to bring up this whole. You were speaking a lot about death, and I, I think we're going to talk a lot about blood here in a little bit. But I want to talk about the whole idea of us being dead in our sins, because it here's He brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. So this whole idea of death, this spiritual death, and, and I agree with that. There is there is a this separation with God, this this being dead, not know, being able to be in his presence, not know him in that sense. Not that people can't think about God or so forth, but mm-hmm. but that that spiritual death, it is because being dead in our sins also is the state of which we are because separated from God when we do die. That existence of, of, of life and having the opportunity for eternal life, it, it doesn't exist anymore, right? And so really, we are like the walking dead, right? Right. Uh, in, uh, in, in that sense that at any time if we die, we, are, we're, we don't have that opportunity anymore, you know? And so, um, but what defeats death? Death does. The death, death of, of Jesus yeah. defeats death. And so the God of peace 
brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. His victory over death kills death for us who put our faith in him. Right. This goes right back to our Colossian study, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. And so, so I think it's very important for us to see, you know, that this bringing up from the death, bringing up from the dead of our Lord Jesus, his resurrection is that sign that death has been defeated. Um, and so that's how he begins. It's very interesting how that begins this, this benediction, uh, which, which is why I, I, I like to use it in a, at the end of a funeral, because as we've talked about, we've talked about how we don't have to, especially for those who are believers in Jesus, and hopefully the people, if we're having a Christian funeral, right, that we don't, this, that death isn't the end because Jesus was brought up from the dead, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then he said the great shepherd of the sheep, which uh, it makes me think of John 10, which I can't remember if we talked about John 10 last time, but the, the shepherd knows his sheep and all those who've been entrusted to the shepherd, he's going to keep, yeah. right? He keeps his sheep. He's not going to lose any one of them, right. right? And so here we have that image here, the great shepherd of the sheep, who's the victorious shepherd who keeps his sheep. He says, now, how? Well, not, not how, because he's going to talk about what he's doing later, but he says, by the blood of the eternal covenant, he's going to equip us with every good thing to do his will. So why is the eternal covenant, why does he talk about the eternal covenant related to blood? So you mentioned this some last week, but let's, let's get into this whole issue of blood some more. What does blood represent? Just like um, uh, the, uh, you know, death talks about that as, as separation. What does is, what is blood represent? Um, in, the, in the blood is... Well, the life. The life, right? right? Yeah. Right. So blood... Um... Yeah, and I was going a different direction. So thanks for steering me that. And this happens all yeah, the time. Sure. You can tell that we don't pre-plan some yeah. of these conversations, which is good. But um, because blood has many right. um, facets to it when right. we're, te- we're dealing with it, right, for the atonement and all the other stuff. But as you shed a man's blood, that means that he he's, he's dead. Yes, right. And so right. he the life. The life is in the, the blood. The life is in the blood, and that's yeah. why some of the Old Testament stuff, you're not supposed to drink the blood and, right. and all this other right. um, special stuff that um, comes along with or the requirements and prohibitions with, with the blood of animals and, and yeah, because death itself. Bo- right? Because often when, when, a, when bodily fluid would leave the body, that represents death in some sense, that, right? So, I mean, that's what you, I'm, I'm, what's going through my head is, is the Old Testament ritual um, of being clean, of and, being clean, that yeah. you were unclean when any body bodily fluid would leak out of you, right, right, or you would touch someone, some other being's bodily fluid, right. and not to that be confused that that's sinful. Yeah, not sinful, but just yeah, it's not sinful. It's just ritually impure. Why is it ritually impure? Because the blood outside of the body represents death. Mm. So the same blood that is that that they would see is symbolic of life, but. But when it's shed, shed blood or outside, that that's showing death because when you bleed, you can bleed to death, right? When it leaves your body, you know that kind of thing. So, um, so, so why is it say with all that in mind, right? We have this term, the blood, this phrase, the blood of the eternal covenant. What what's going on there? Why why does the author of Hebrews Put it that way, do you think? Well, there's a, there's the eternal matter that comes along with that. But if we just go back to Genesis chapter 3, we'll get a glimpse mm-hmm. of what God did to help cover the sins of Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. Because when they first took of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, they were fallen and they felt their shame, right? Would they realize that they were naked? Well, yeah. they were naked before, but there was no shame in that, right? So there was a, a a new realization that they had sinned, that they were shamed, and what did they do? But they try to cover themselves with the fig leaves, right? So they put clothes on because they try to hide their, their shame or their sin. And God comes along and says, you know, who told you that you were naked? And and they're kind of hiding from God, right, of whom they had fellowship with before. But God doesn't say, well, I'm glad that you covered yourself and your own sin. He says, that's not going to work. And how, And what does he do? He covers them with animal skins. Right. The Lord himself 
covers them with animal skins, which basically shows that to get animal skins, you have to kill the animal, right? And so you have the shedding of an innocent animal, mm -hmm. that blood or the shedding of the blood of the innocent animal and the covering is for the people. So the death of that animal and his blood has an atoning factor um, and an expiation, which is the, the the taking away of sin, right? Yeah, the removal um, of guilt. Right, but yeah. the the covering, um, the atonement, which is a, which is simply a covering of, of of the filth, right, by the animal's blood, and we see that walked all the way through from the covenants of Abraham and so much, all the way to the fulfillment of Christ. Yeah. So, but being the final sacrifice, being, so you have all the sacrificial system, right, in the in in the the, in temple, the temple and 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 the tabernacle, the temple. That is symbolic of that, uh, that need for covering. But what is the what is that in itself symbolic of, right? So all these animal sacrifices that life for this it's it's the life again. It's the blood, it's the blood of life uh, that is there that we need. We need life. How do we have eternal life without life being given to us? Uh, we so the the death of Jesus, you know, it it, it pays that price of you know the of uh, propitiation, removal of wrath, expiation, the removal of right, guilt, right. all those things. There's a payment, you know. Even if we think of legal terms, we sometimes we use that with justification, you know, that there need to be a, a payment made of, of righteousness. Uh, but but there's all but there's there's reconciliation. Of, of relationship, all those kind of things that we we talk about and may talk more about with, with the doctrines of grace. But, but here with the blood of the eternal covenant, these covenants were made in blood. Why, why were they made in blood? Uh, the, the, the term itself, barit, in Hebrew means to... To cut. To cut. Right to cut a covenant because you're cutting animals. So they would they would often cut the animals in half if they were large enough, and you would walk through them. Um, uh, the, the two parties would walk through them, uh, discussing the terms of the covenant. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, why are they walking through dead animals? Right. So what they're doing in their in their word of covenant. So they've got their terms and they are making a promise to the other party that if they don't adhere to the terms of the agreement, that they are worthy of what just happened to yeah. these animals. Right. So that's how serious those covenants yeah, these, were. They, right? they were covenants of life and death right? that they were making. And, and what we're seeing here is that they, that same image, that same symbolism is present in the garden if if you eat for, if you break the covenant, he did, now that word covenant is not used in the garden. But basically, if you choose to eat this tree, which symbolizes rebellion against God, I'm going to seek wisdom and 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 life and and how to live on my own terms apart from God. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to seek all that on my own. Um, that's you're choosing death. Uh, that's what God says. If you sh if you eat of this, you shall surely die. Right. Or you can have the tree of life. So, and there's a sense. So, um, the which, if we put blood in those terms, if we think about these sacrifices, this, this restoration unto God, um, that it's for eternal life. So we get to participate in the eternal covenant, covenant by having eternal life again. Right. Uh, so maybe a simpler, um, not a simpler, but um, for me, <laughs> a word picture of what this looks like is that Adam and Eve sinned, mm -hmm. the wages of that sin is death, right? And that's what this book of Romans says about us, that the wages of sin yeah. is death. Right. So we are as good as dead, and we are dead spiritually, but God says that we can have a substitute. Yes. Right? And so in the beginning, that's symbolic by the death of an innocent animal right. and the shedding of its blood to cover for us, Right. right? But there was never really any forgiveness in any of those sacrifices, as we learn in, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, I believe, where it says not until Jesus Christ died because it had to be a man's blood to the really... The blood of goats and bulls were not sufficient. Right, were not sufficient. They were just, uh, they were pointing to something else. Right. I almost said, it's almost like it was, a, they were like almost like a stopgap measure, um, but, but really they weren't. I mean, they, they were all just pointing ahead and forward. God was was uh, 
saying, I'm going to accept these for now. Right. <laughs> In essence, right. but but we but ultimately we need we need a greater. But sacrifice. yeah, there was there was real mediation taking place there between was. between our fallenness or man's yeah. fallenness, their sin, and God. So um, and that was enacted in the temple periods of by the high priest, right? Yeah, where the high priest acted as the mediator between God and man and sacrificed that particular animal on behalf of that person and satisfied, yeah, God's wrath. But it wasn't that. Again, like you said, that looks forward to the time right. where the eternal covenant that's right. fulfilled in the perfect work that was given to the Son and accomplished at right. the cross by the shedding of his his innocent blood. And that's why it's so important that Jesus never sinned. Yeah. Right. Because he had to be perfect. Yeah. He he was a perfect spotless sacrifice, and 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 it's not just. And when we think about that, Jesus never sinned. Um, and it, it even goes back to some of the discussions I think we maybe have had here on on the idea of being righteous. That when we think about that, don't just think of it. Now it's true, but don't just think of it that God that Jesus never told a lie. Right. It's not just that Jesus as a little boy never, you know, stole somebody else's, you know, milk rock money. or you know, yeah, <laughs> Go whatever, milk. whatever, whatever it was. Um, it's not that Jesus never committed adultery. It's true. He never did any of those things. But the other thing, that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the blameless one, because he stayed true to the Father. He always did what the Father asked. And ultimately, and, the most, and most importantly, he fulfilled the promise. He's the blameless, spotless lamb because... He went to the cross for us. Mm. He didn't refuse that call on his life, which was that eternal agreement that the God had had within himself, that the Son would come, be born, live, die, be resurrected, ascend to the right hand, that he was willing to do that. And so that's, in, in, in some senses, the blood of the eternal covenant was Jesus going to the cross and keeping God's promise Right, going back to Abraham, the, the covenant he made with Abraham, Abraham fell asleep. God caused him to fall asleep because he knew Abraham couldn't fulfill it. So God, in in going through in the smoking fire pot and the the burning torch as well, right. uh, that he fulfills both sides. He fulfills it for God and man, and so Jesus, the God Man, accomplishes both sides of that. And so His blood is the is the fulfillment of that. Right. And then moving forward to verse 21, what does that have how is that applied to us? What is that how, that eternal life that is given to us that we get to to join into this? Verse 21 says equips you with every good thing to do as well. Well, wait, hold on a minute here author of Hebrews, um pastor, uh you know, I believe in Christ, but do I I don't know that I'm always doing everything God wants me to do. <laughs> right. Even after the blood of Christ, this is saying, is applied to us. It's not that we then behave or act perfectly and can right. be perfectly Christ-like, but that the power of Christ rests upon us and we are continually covered from then on to be representatives, ambassadors of Christ, of that figure, as his blood is applied to us. So we are... Equipped, uh, it says. It says that we are equipped. And what's the... Um, when our sins um, are applied to Christ, his righteousness is all also applied to us. And what's that term that I'm looking for? Um, um, it's kind of a double um, transfer, if you will, but transfer is not the word I'm looking for. Imputation. The imputation, right? right? Our, our sins are imputed or... You know, accounted. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a banking term, right? <laughs> the it's a it's a it's credited. Um, our sins are credited to Christ. Right. He takes those on the cross, but His righteousness is given into our account. Where when God looks upon us, He doesn't see our sin. Otherwise, He would still have to judge it. He sees the righteousness of Christ right. in and us. And that's where I would say He what He sees is His faithfulness. Right. It's not like He sees oh 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 um, you did everything you were supposed to do, Thad. No, it's he sees the faithfulness of Christ. He sees the sacrifice of right. Christ, right? That's where I think sometimes in, in Protestant terms, we, or at least in my mind, 
I think of that double imputation. I think, oh, now I got the fullness of Christ's bank account on my half. And, and what I really have is his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I have his faithfulness. I have his blood, right, that, that is there. Which, if you think, I, I looked up this, this Greek word for equip. It's the word uh, katartizo. Um, but basically, it, the, the, it means to cause to be in a condition to function well. To put in order or to restore, um, which I really like that. It, it can also be to prepare for a purpose or prepare, make, create, outfit something. But I kind of like it. And, and in this context, um, uh, you know, I have to do a little bit more study, but but it actually does here reference, you know, to put into proper condition. And and so if we think about that, it, it does reference Hebrews 13.21 as, as kind of probably that connotation, to put in proper condition, uh, to function well. Uh, I think that's a good that's a good idea for us to realize is that we um, that's that ongoing grace of God that we have been we now have the capacity to no longer sin. It doesn't mean that I'm 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 living a perfect life from here on right. out, right? In that sense, but but what the grace of God does is it fits me for that. I am fit even now to live that way. I've yeah. been put in the proper condition. Which relates to what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. What was the condi- our former condition, dead in our trespasses and sins? Exactly where I was. What's our going. new condition, alive in Christ Jesus? Right, right. Yeah. And that's exactly um, when you were talking about John ten. I was thinking about chapter six. Okay. Actually, and there's a there's a point in here um, where Jesus is speaking uh, to his people, and he says that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Yeah. Right. So. This is inclusive language that we see this word all here. And that's made, or that word all is defined by the rest of the context that we have to look at. So all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by, by no means cast out, right? Mm-hmm. So all that come to, to Jesus are from the Father, right? Jesus doesn't turn any of those away. Why? Because it's a gift of the Father. And then it goes on to say that this is the will of the Father. Again, going back to the eternal covenant, of all that he has given to me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. There's the life that you're talking about mm-hmm. because in our original state we have death. But Christ, right. by defeating the grave, the, the firstborn, right. now gives us the life that we have. And so what's that language that's used in the throughout the New Testament that... Um, if if you believe you have eternal life, oh, yeah. So we possess eternal life right now. Yeah, we're gonna die someday physically, most likely, right? You know, save the Lord coming before then. Right. But we're all of us are going to die physically. But our spiritual life, it says that we possess that right now. That's eternal life that we have. Again, and that's that's the life of Christ who shed his blood as that perfect lamb once again. And it says that this is the will of him, this is the Father who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes that he have he may have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. He, he adds that same sentence again um, as a form of emphasis, right? And so the disciples, when they heard that language, they, they didn't really like that. They didn't hmm. want it to be about somebody else's decision, right? They wanted it to be, it says a lot of them didn't even, this is this is tough language, and a lot of them didn't even walk with the Lord anymore. Because why? Because our hearts are selfish, and we want to accomplish our own perfect goals, right? That's kind of just showing the the two different groups of people. There's the sheep and the goats, so to speak, yeah. that, that the Lord has come to redeem the sheep. Hmm. And those are the ones that 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 he's calling. There's a the, right. there's a very distinguishing factor there that in my humanness I do not like. Yeah, and I think that's what was being shown right. here too. Some Interesting, people, you know. Yeah, but but again, I, it, it goes back a little bit to that guarantee that God is the one guaranteeing this. He's the one who's equipping us. He's the one who's holding us. And so, uh, if we have, if we have an easy if the entry point into it is totally up to us, then don't we also have a, a, an exit point as well? Because the issue beca- really becomes down to a daily thing. Do I still believe today what I believed when I prayed the sinner's prayer or um, 
confessed at my baptism or at my membership into the church or whatever that day is or whatever, you know, whether that altar call or whatever is, whatever that day was where you might say that was. And some people know when that is and other people know what it's like. I could always remember having this, you know, right. the, I'm not getting into that whole thing. But the point is, if that decision, when I think we are called to a decision, and I believe it's by the work of the Holy Spirit that I was a- enabled and to make that decision, right, um, to to say yes to God, um, that 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 by that act of regeneration that God did, and a God act, not an act of man, an act of God that regenerates my soul, that allows me to have faith and say yes to Him. Those are important decisions that are made. But that if that decision was just Matt based decision and not and not a, a work of God, then doesn't Matt also have the ability at some point to just turn away and say no to God again? Right? So what security, the security, if, if the if the entrance was on the security of Matt's decision, then the exits can also be on the security of Matt's decision. Right. But but when it's God who's who's doing it and God who's equipping, it's God who's holding on to me. And so the my eternal security is wrap is not is in is in God. Now it manifests itself in daily Matt saying yes to God. Mm-hmm. But but my but my confidence is not in me; it's in Him. Right. Well, I, I think because um, He's the one equipping me, exactly. He's the one fitting me. You're right? exactly right. And I think what happens is um, we'll hear people say. Um, you just got to have faith or you need to increase your faith. And and so uh, there seems to be an aspect that, by the way, faith and belief are both the same word in the New Testament, right? That Greek word, pistis, that, that we yeah. see. And um, uh, if you just believe a little bit harder, you can, you, this is not a self-generated amount of believing, right? It's like, if it's not wishing for a Christmas gift, so to speak, right? Um, in fact, you said something that was very, very much a cue to me. You said, don't I have the ability to turn this away mm-hmm. or to accept it, right? Well, this is exactly what Jesus said to himself just after I finished reading that John 6, right there uh-huh. in the next line. It says, Jesus says, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. Right. Well, those are words of inability, right? No man can right. come. No man is able to come unless it's granted right. by the Father. But then it says, but those who do come, I will not turn away, right? right? So there is this gift of life from the Father. This is what we call grace, right? Yep. That, that that transforms our heart. We call this being born again um, because we have um, we have new life that the Holy Spirit gives to us when, when, when this yeah. process takes place because we are made able Yes, by the Father, and I think that's where you were ultimately yeah, going. Yeah, that, that right? same. That we are made able, and we are then equipped to live that life, and and like like that new life. And so, what does new life do? New life does grow. Mm, we true. do exercise this faith, right? Right. So I'm not in any way talking about putting that faith into action. Right. We do, and I believe this new creation that we have does grow. Right. We've talked about this before. I believe that I I believe I have greater faith today than I did 10 years ago because that new creation in me is growing. I have greater confidence in the Lord. It's not meritorious, but it's evidence of fruit. I'm hopefully bearing more fruit today as I grow up in the, in the faith. That that attachment to the vine, if you think about the growth of any plant, right? As as a plant grows as a tree grows, those branches lower down in the vine, they're bigger and thicker. They have a greater attachment to the right, vine. Right. So I should be abide as I abide in Christ. Now, if there are times I'm not abide, if there's like little branches that are coming off of that that stop abiding, they get cut off and thrown into the fire. You yeah, know, yeah, it's good pruning. You know, that's pruning. But the point is, is that when we talk about it's not of us or you know that it, that it's God doing it, it doesn't mean don't take that as passivity on the on the side of a Christian. We right. Presbyterians here who believe in the doctrines of grace, if if you if we sometimes get accused of being the frozen chosen, uh, you know, and that 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 should not be the case, right? Because our faith should be living and active. Our faith is is working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. 
but we're doing it empowered and equipped by Christ as new creations. We didn't. We played no part in giving this life to ourselves. Right. Paul speaks to that directly yeah. in Romans six, and he, you know, he's talking about being made righteous in Christ and the um, the righteousness that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in verse one of chapter six, he's talking about this, and he says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin?" that grace may abound. No, so again... By no means. Right, and that's just... It, it basically, <laughs> right. it just shows the absurdity of the yes. of the thought, but yet there's some morons, so to speak, that <laughs> actually try to trounce on, on the grace of God, saying, well, if, you know, if he saved me, then I can do anything I want. Well, that's not the that's not a love right. response to a loving Savior. Exactly. Right? And that's not trusting the faithfulness of Christ. Exactly. And that's why, like, you know... I think of like praying the sinner's prayer. People want, sometimes want to put their eternal security in the fact that they prayed a prayer. And that's not really, that's not the eternal, this eternal security isn't that you pray to sinner's prayer. The eternal security is in the work of Christ in your life. And if God, by his grace, did enter in your life in that moment that you prayed that prayer, praise be to God, right? But the confidence is not in, in a prayer that I prayed. The confidence is in the Savior who I've trusted in in that time. Right. And then that manifests itself in a life that reveals and shows that. So I can't just say, oh, well, I took care of that when I was 13 and I prayed that prayer. Now I can go live wherever however I want to. Right. No, right. that is not what grace is. Right. Pa- Pastor Matt, <laughs> what is the symbolism of baptism for us? What, do, what does that, what does that symbolize for yeah. the believer? It's a new identity. Uh, in 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 Roman times, baptism was was a sign of allegiance that you that you said this is who I'm pledging and, and giving my life to, mm-hmm. and and in, in biblical terms, baptism is a means of identification. You're identifying with Christ's death and resurrection, saying He is my King, and and it's related to Old Testament circumcision, where the, the this was a public act saying I identify with Yahweh. Right. Me and my family, we identify with Yahweh. Baptism says me and my family, we identify with Jesus. Right. He is our king. He's my greatest allegiance. My identity is in him. And so it's an act of loyalty. Um, and it's actually an act in that same sense. It's an act of rebellion against any other kingdom. And so for the Romans, if they were if they get baptized with Jesus, they're based not only are they saying yes to Jesus, but they're denying Caesar. They're denying Caesar and Rome and all those things of the day. Or they're they're denying or turning their back on any other God, any other form of religion, and saying, I'm not with them. I'm rebelling against them because I'm for Jesus. Right. And that's exactly um, first of all, that's one of the examples that's given um, as the Hebrew children were leaving Egypt. Yeah. Right? They were turning their backs and denying the gods of Egypt. Exactly. As they go through the waters, it's it's, yes. <laughs> it's kind of a baptism thing. It was. As they go and follow Yahweh yes. and his rule. And that's exactly what it says in this Romans 6 thing right. as well. Um, it says, because if we um, were dead in our sins, right, by Christ, it says that we are now dead to sin. Yes. Right? And it says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we um, we die symbolically symbolically with Jesus Christ yes. and then we are also raised, uh, with, raised with Christ. So this is what this is why we don't go on sinning, right? This yeah. is this is not the desire of our heart. We're we're to keep our eyes forward on Christ. And this has been the conversation uh, from the pulpit the last few weeks, right? The, the, the idea of repentance to turn yeah. our backs from from this lifestyle and, right. and press on towards the life lessons that we have. Yeah. Which brings us back to Hebrews 13. Because in verse 21, after it says, equip you with every good thing to do his will, then it says, carrying out what is pleasing before him through Jesus Christ. And so the, the equipment of the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit in us in the new creation, that new equipment that we have, this new condition that we have been given to function well, <laughs> is carried out in who? In us. It's carried out in us. So we as as new creations and then as members of the body of Christ, we witness the life of Jesus as we live it individually and corporately as testaments 
testimonies, we become that new covenant, that New Testament people um, who live out this, who carry out what is pleasing before him. Right. Uh, that, that it says, so, so yes, it shows itself in that life. And, and then who gets the glory? God. God does, right? God alone. To him be the glory forever and ever. Um, amen. So, so yeah, that's, I think that's so important as we think about, and as we will continue on in the series and get more specific into these doctrines of grace and, 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 and talk about why, why do Presbyterians believe in, uh, emphasize election and predestination and so forth. And I think maybe next week it might be good for us or then our next podcast to talk about the issue of, of sovereignty, because that's, that's one of the hallmarks and the characteristics of covenantal theology of reform, the Reformed faith is that we have this sovereign king, mm-hmm. and that God is the one who's sovereign over our salvation. He's sovereign over these things like election and predestination and so forth, right? Because all this is a reflection of who he is, and so why... And, and, a, and a covenant is, is often between a king and his people, <laughs> right? So I think it'd be good for us to look in this whole issue of sovereignty next time as one of the important doctrines as we talk about, because without the sovereignty of God, without his, his um, authority over all these things, um, uh, we, w- we won't really grasp grace. Right. That's a very good yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Great place to start for okay. next time. Perfect. All right. Good well, deal. Look forward to it. All right. Have a good day, Thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we will explore the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty in salvation. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.